Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Robbie, I am pumped for today's podcast. We've been off the air, quote-unquote, for a little while now, and I've been ex- I've been excited about just putting something out there because right now there's not a lot of college football news to talk about. We're in the worst part of the offseason, and... You can tell by, yeah, where everybody's talking about anything but actual football. I mean, it's nice. The preview mags are starting to hit uh, hit shelves, so you can pick those up and read them. Uh, a lot of people are doing kind of their first team All-Americans, second team All-Americans, All-Conference picks. But other than that, it's this is the roughest point. If we can make it through this next month, then uh, we're, we're on the home stretch. Exactly. I mean, June is always the toughest time of year. We're inside of 100 days till the games, but it's just rough. And I remember before we started this podcast, always wanting for whatever podcast or articles to come out so I could just read anything or listen to anything about college football. So that's what we're trying to do for the Virginia Tech fans. And today we're going to analyze the first half of our 2016 schedule. And before we get into that, we're going to need uh, cheers from you before we do our shot. Well, there's, like I said, not a whole lot to talk about. Um, let's, uh, we'll make it a multi-pronged approach here on the cheers. One, to the fans that are listening during the off season when there's not a ton to talk about. And certainly nothing on the field or approaching the field, uh, given summertime, you know, players are off and practices are voluntary or quote-unquote voluntary. I think to the fans that are that are listening in, I think also uh, to them being safe. It's the summer months, a lot of barbecues, 4th of July coming up. Drive safe. This is a, uh, a podcast where we drink some beers. We always do it from home. Don't drive if you've been drinking. Be safe during the summer. Uh, make it through the summer months and uh, the football doldrums or college football doldrums. And We'll uh, we'll keep you posted on everything that we can, keep you updated on the team, get ready for the season. So cheers to, to everybody that listens in. Cheers. Yeah, and that same uh, thought process of being safe and July 4th coming up, don't blow your hand off like Jason Pierre-Paul did last summer. Um, <laughs> let's start with some of our news and notes. There isn't a lot of VT news, just some recruiting tidbits. We got a a commit here or there, got some guys deciding over the next two months. We don't really want to get into the names of that, but if you want to take a look at our class overall for the 2017 class, we're number 32 on the 24-7 composite, and their in-house rankings actually has us at 23, which is pretty good considering we only have 10 commits in the class, and only one of which is a four-star but I'd say it's a pretty good start for Fuente this early in June to have those 10 commits. And most of them, I mean, some of them I'm really excited about. Other ones I really don't have a clue. But hopefully he can parlay this into a very strong second recru- recruiting class. This is really where the recruiting class is, you know, this is where things should start to pick up. This is this is going to be his first class and uh, that he's coming in, he's recruiting and it's an important one that he starts getting some traction. The The push on the uh, Statement 17 on um, This is Home, uh, I actually did the Twitter retweet and got one of the uh, the new 
whatever bumper sticker magnets. Uh, I was one of the twenty five uh, reposters, so that should be coming oh, in the nice. mail. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on the car and and help my uh, help the team with the the stay home initiative. Yeah, I, yeah. It's, I said second class, but you're right. This really is his full, first full class in terms of a full recruiting cycle, and and honestly, these relationships start so early. We might not really see the effect of that until the following year, but we're still hoping for a good 2017 recruiting class. We'll see how that shakes out as the summer goes on. There was some ACC news this week. Uh, David Teal put out an article saying the ACC is thinking about moving to nine games, nine conference games as soon as 2017 in football, and maybe even more conference games in basketball, but I think that would be a little bit farther off. What are your thoughts on nine conference games? I've always had kind of mixed feelings on it because I like the variety of having four out-of-conference opponents, but I also like the idea of seeing Clemson more than once every six years. It's Well, and once every, what, 12 years at, at home. So we, right, exactly. right now, I don't think we have Louisville scheduled at all for a home game. I, I, that is outrageous. Uh, it, it, the nine games, for me, is a no-brainer. Uh, ODU, and, and I don't mean to slight them, and it gives us good exposure uh, down there, and it's an important game from from that respect. But we have at least one game that's a throwaway every every season. I, the Big Ten has done away with FCS opponents, and here we're about to talk about Liberty. I would rather see a game against you know the power teams on the other side, and even some of them that we don't play as often, rather than. You know, throw away a game. I know it's important to help get some steam, but the fact is, is that strength of schedule is becoming so important, and that's why you're seeing all these dramatic shifts in other conferences and starting to play these big time games. The week one slate for this year is as packed as it has ever been in college football by far. It is outrageous, and the reason is, is that everybody's improving their strength of schedule because if you want to make the playoff, that is a hugely important factor. And I think we need to join the club. I think it's time to go nine games and get some, uh, you know, cross division opponents that can help our strength of schedule. I know we have a, a big slate coming up with Notre Dame and Tennessee this year, but I think it would further improve our strength of schedule and help push us up into the top twenty-five, even with a few losses to some of those good teams if we play them play them hard. Yeah, you see that all the time in the SEC West, where there'll be a three loss team and they're still in the top 25, you know, early on in the season because they've played such a tough schedule, but I'll play devil's advocate on that and say like, if you have nine conference games, then every other year you're going to have five away games. And in that year, if you're a, a top notch team with a shot at the national title or a shot at the ACC title, and you have an extra away game to me that now you're at a disadvantage. Yes. It increases your strength to schedule, but if you lose, you're screwed. So I, it definitely – I think it has pluses and minuses. Just like the Big 12, you know, adding a championship game in 2017, it has pluses and minuses because that extra game could mean, okay, you can lift a team into the national title contention or you could knock a team out. And it's it's going to happen like that all the time. I think ultimately it is a good thing to move to nine games. You can get, you know – the liberties off of our schedule going forward, possibly the ECUs off of our schedule going forward, which I know we don't want that on there anymore, but, but it'll be interesting to see if they, if they ultimately approve it and move to nine games. We have two, uh, kind of bad news topics to talk about before we get into our, uh, schedule preview. 
And we're going to start with the Baylor situation that happened. Anyone who follows college football knows that Art Bryles was more or less relieved of his duties. He was suspended with intent to fire, which I actually don't know if he's technically been fired yet. He hasn't. He's he's still he has not been fired yet as of as which of today. Is, it's kind of bizarre, but Ken Starr, the university president, he stepped down initially to chancellor, but ultimately resigned that position because of the public outcry. I think he's still going to stay on as a law professor, uh, which I'm sure it's great to have him teaching our young people uh, law and so on and so forth, but whatever. It was a huge scandal, and it's it's rocked Baylor football, and losing one of the best coaches in the country is really, really bad for that program on the football side of things. But on the social aspect side of things, what happened down there seems absolutely despicable. Uh, just sexual assault allegations swept under the rug again and again, many of which were found to be true, not just allegations. Uh, I, I don't know your thoughts on this, Robbie, but I just can't believe post-Penn State that we could have an abuse of power like this. It, it just seems unfathomable. Right. And the reason that we're bringing this up, and we're not going to go through national news all the time, but this and the next point, if it has relevance to Virginia Tech, I think that, or our podcast, then I think it's you know important to bring up. And it ties back to a question that we asked Dan Wolken, which I don't think he fully understood the intent of what we were asking him during that interview, which was Beamer was kind of always known for kind of doing, you know, running a relatively clean program. No program is is completely clean. And that was the intent of the question. He took it and responded to it from a recruiting aspect. Well, you know, five-star recruits, if they go somewhere, do you think that there's some, you know, money under the table or bagman or whatever the case may be? But the the intent of that question was just to say, you know, the, these types of things are wholly unacceptable. I I absolutely want Virginia Tech to win. But if this happened at Virginia Tech, it would literally take me years of kind of straight and narrow for me to get back into football because this is so egregious and just so on a humanity level, it, it, it makes it perils, you know, football perils in comparison to, to the importance of this kind of stuff and keeping people safe on, on campus, which I assume kind of dovetails into the rationale and the thought process of us discussing kind of this next point. Well said. And the next point is unfortunately the Orlando shooting that happened, uh, late Saturday night, Sunday morning, where a uh, gunman broke into a gay club and opened fire, killing at least 50 people and injuring an additional 50-plus. And because we are alumni of Virginia Tech, I think we have a little bit more sensitivity to these types of situations. And, there, and I say that, but there really isn't a parallel to this type of situation because it as is being reported, is the largest mass shooting in U.S. history outside of a war. And it's just amazingly sad, and I can't believe these types of things still happen year after year. And we're not going to get into the politics of banning assault weapons and that kind of thing, but it's stuff that our country needs to think about, and that's all I'll say. Agreed. They're very well said, and you know, keep everybody in your thoughts and prayers, and and stop by the uh, memorial for the thirty two at Virginia Tech. Uh, I always go by there every time I go back for a game. It's uh, it, it helps bring things into perspective a lot, and you know, our hearts go out to everybody, friends, family, victims, ever everybody. It's just so so effing unfortunate. 
Okay, Robbie, would you like to talk some football now? Let's do it. Let's jump right in. Uh, okay. The home opener. We play Liberty University, and it's on uh, Labor Day weekend, September 3rd. They're an FCS opponent. So I don't have a whole lot to say on this. I think Robbie might have done a little too much research on the Flames. But uh, they were 6-5 and five last year, 3-3 three and three in their conference. And the only FBS opponent I think they played was West Virginia, and they were beaten handily, 41-17. to 17. But they did beat two ranked FCS teams last year. They beat Montana in week three, and they beat Coastal Carolina, which is a perennially a pretty good team, uh, in the last week of the season. And they were number four at the time. So they have a little fight in them. And, Robbie, I'm going to just dish it off to you and ask you, what should we be looking for against the Flames other than kind of a rev up for our battle at Bristol? I I think it's going to be a rev up game. They took a drubbing against WVU. I think it was uh, 17-41. Uh, under center is uh, Stephen Mash. He's a true junior, but he's barely seen the field. They haven't replaced their starter in at QB in nearly four years, which doesn't bode very well. They're replacing two thousand yard rushers, um, and their running backs likely to be Todd Macon. Uh, he's in his fourth year at the program. He got some time last year: seventy three attempts, three hundred three yards. Uh, also replacing their all-time leading wide receiver as well. Um, but they do have a lot of depth at the wide receiver uh, position. They don't utilize tight end much, and they had a transfer out of the program at fullback. So I think their offensive firepower, um, it may be struggling. It's really going to depend on what MASH can do. He has some wide receiver talent to spread the ball around, but we'll have to see how that, that shakes out on the offensive side of the ball. Well, what do you expect? I guess it's hard to expect anything from our offense because we don't really know exactly what it's going to look like. But I wouldn't think that we're going to see a lot of what Fuente is going to do the following week or beyond in this Liberty game unless he absolutely has to. I'm expecting keeping it on the ground a lot. Uh, He won't be dishing it to Isaiah Ford or a lot of the other guys mostly so they don't get injured. I mean, he will play his guys. Don't get me wrong. We need to we need to get ready. But whatever we see on offense, I think it's just going to be a glimpse of what we see the following week, and I think you'd probably agree with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, these guys used to run a 3-4 that shifted over uh, just recently over to a, a 4-2-5 um, uh, defensive scheme. Their defensive line is actually their strength probably on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so... I think uh, they have a, a couple good ends, and their interior is pretty experienced. But I don't think we're we're going to show much uh, here unless the game necessitates. I would imagine um, keep it on the ground, don't show a whole lot, and and save all your schemes and every every card that you have up your sleeve for that next week at at UT. Overall, I feel great about this game assuming that our secondary can kind of come together uh, to control their wide receiver talent and uh, I think we'll be able to jam up the middle and uh, hope our linebackers get a a week to continue to kind of prove improve and solidify yeah in this game I I want to see more from the defense than the offense you know I want to see us give up a touchdown or less quite frankly that's what you should do against an FC opponent, FCS opponent when they come into your house on opening weekend. You should give up seven points or less, and you should score 30 points or more. And I'm hoping that's what we'll end up doing. And like you said, we got to get 
our linebackers ready for the next week when we'll be facing a QB and Josh Dobbs who can definitely move it on the ground a little bit. So if you're done with Liberty, I'm done with them. Let's move on to the big matchup the following week. Bristol Motor Speedway, which should be the largest college football game uh, ever viewed by a live audience. And I'm pumped about it. I'll be down there. I'm taking an RV down from Philadelphia, camping out for a couple days, and probably drinking way too much. And it's going to be a blast. I got I got two RVs coming in my group. We got 10 guys going Nine of which all went to JMU, if uh, if you believe it or not. And so uh, it'll be nine JMU guys and one Virginia Tech guy. But uh, you know, your friends are your friends at the end of the day, and uh, I've known the, almost all of those guys since uh, since high school or middle school. That's going to be great, man. So Tennessee was nine and four last year, and they were six and three in the SEC. They won their last six games, including their bowl game against Northwestern. And they're returning 18 starters. It's one of the reasons they're the favorites to win the SEC East this upcoming year. And their defense will probably be one of the best, not only in the SEC, but in the nation. And every position on that defense has starters back except for their safeties. So that front seven is going to be, it's going to be tough. The Athlon um, preseason rank by Athlon Magazine uh, is number seven. I expect... Tennessee to be in the top 10 in just about every preseason poll. Um, maybe 10 would be the lowest you would, you would see really. I mean, everyone is expecting this Tennessee team to really compete for a playoff spot. So it's going to be a fun game. I, I'm nervous, but I also have been going through this off season with a little bit of confidence that we're going to play them really tough. And I think the biggest question for Tennessee and their success is going to be based on Josh Dobbs, their quarterback. Do you agree with that? Yeah, ab- absolutely. They return talent and and depth, quite frankly, almost all over the fields. And and to take a step back, I think I posted this on Twitter, but I, I thought it was worth mentioning. Is the scheduling how it shook out for Virginia Tech over the last like ten years is is pretty remarkable. I mean, going back to LSU game two, you know, started number two, finished number one. Um, 2009, Alabama started number five, ended up winning it all. 2010, Boise State number started number three, finished number nine. I mean, you look through our schedule, and this year is no different. Two games against OSU, another game against Alabama where they started number one, finished number seven. Um, I, I, I can't imagine you know another team out there that's been able to kind of line up the schedule that we may have fallen into, but has that shaken out this well. But 100% agree. I think it's really going to be – yeah, you know, it's going to come down to Dobbs and what he can do. He's a dynamic dual threat. Um, he'll be back at the helm this year. His 2015, you know, he had 2,300 passing yards, 15 TDs, five interceptions. Interceptions, and that's that's not a huge total, but that has been an area that um, they've mentioned that they need to work on um, in the in the off season. And, you know, Jones' uh, strong recruiting class over kind of the three years that he's been working at it is really starting to come together. And this is a pretty scary team, assuming that Josh Jobs can can get his act together and increase his completion percentage and, and really do something with the, the offensive here, which could be really dangerous. Yeah, I mean, Dobbs, he's a big guy. He's 6'3", 210. And like you said, he's got to improve his passing game if Tennessee wants to take the next step. We know he can run. He averaged uh, about four and a half yards a carry 
almost 700 yards last year and 11 touchdowns on the ground. He added 15 touchdowns through the air, completes about 60% of his passes, but for a college QB in an elite level, you should be 65 to 70, I feel like, these days. And I noticed when I was watching a lot of his highlights, they run almost everything out of the shotgun. Uh, I don't know if that's historically what Butch Jones has always done, but almost every play I saw was coming out of the shotgun. And he is elusive in the open field. Like if he gets out beyond the line of scrimmage, like you got, he's tough to tackle. I already said he's kind of a big dude. And they do a lot of uh, designed QB runs and a lot of draws. And that is something that we've struggled with, as we've talked about in this podcast last year. And he's got help too. That's the thing. It's not only can he run, but they're bringing some serious running back talent to the table as well. Monster talent. The Jalen Hurd, the more that I've watched him, the more I've heard about him, how impressed a lot of people are. I mean, he's a potential Heisman candidate absolutely this year. Uh, last year he put up, uh, I think it was like 1,300 yards. He was uh, some like 90 yards shy of like the all-time um, rushing record for, for Tennessee. The good news is is that he's typically looked at as like a bruising between the tackles running back. Um, so if we can figure out what's going on with defensive end beyond a canum, I think that that could play to a strength that we have. The depth that we have at defensive tackle right now um, is, is pretty astounding, quite honestly. So that could be a positive for us. The problem is, is then they also have Alvin Kamara, and he's a speedy guy and dangerous on the outside. So they can just be swapping those two guys in. And I think we are in for some uh, a long day of, of the run game, uh, mixing it up with pass, uh, assuming that Dobbs can get, um, get everything you know straightened out on the passing side of things. So I think they're going to try and hit us between the mouth on the ground um, pretty repeatedly, at least through the first quarter, and see, see how Bud Foster reacts. Yeah, their O-line has four starters back, and they're definitely going to be paving the way for Hurd and Kamara. And like you said, Kamara can definitely be used as a weapon out of the backfield as well. And one thing that jumps out to me when I watch Hurd is just his blazing speed. He is so fast. He hits the hole fast, but he's also very patient when he goes to the outside. Like He's a very skilled runner in those ways. The one knock on him I'll say is that he's not he's not your shifty make guys miss LaShawn McCoy type runner. But if he gets in the open field, he's gone. So, and in that way, he's kind of like Trayvon McMillan and that like, but McMillan, I think has a little bit more shiftiness to him than Hurd. but they both hit the hole really fast. And Hurd is just so big. I mean, at six, four, two forty. I mean, that is, that is just huge for a running back. I couldn't believe he was actually that big, but he's so tall. He can carry that weight. I'm kind of scared of the offense, so let's talk about their defense a little. They got a new defensive coordinator last year in Bob Shoup, or I should say over the offseason in Bob Shoup. He comes over from Penn State with his uh, Vanderbilt background because he was with James Franklin at both. And Penn State was 14th in total defense last year, and Shoup is known as a good defensive coordinator, and he has a lot of toys to play with on this defense. They have nine starters back, and I, I told you at the beginning of this Tennessee thing that the only position they're really replacing on the defense are their two safety positions. So their entire front seven is more or less coming back. They've got Darren Kirkland Jr. and Maven, and they're a sick linebacker duo. They had 100 solo tackles combined. So 
bringing guys down in the open field is like absolutely no problem for them. And that worries me a little bit with Fuente's offense because of the way he likes to get it, his, the ball to the guys in space that might play directly into their strength at linebacker. But I mean, if you look at their linebackers and their defensive line, it's just a treasure trove of four and five star talent. And it's it's scary, man. I mean, do you have any guys that stand out to you on this defense? Yeah. Well, I, I think they're in a little opposite position that we are. Granted, I think their talent is a little bit you know better than ours in that they're a little thin at defensive tackle, but actually really, really deep at defensive end. So they're they're dealing with the almost opposite uh issue that we are gotcha. uh right now. I think, you know, Shy Tuttle, uh, and actually I think Virginia Tech uh, had offers out to him way back in the day. I don't think we had a shot at him uh, as a stud, but he's coming off of an injury that he needs to heal quick on. Uh, Khalil McKenzie is a five-star. He hasn't lift, lived up to it yet, needs to cut some weight. Uh, a lot of these things are going to sound familiar to Virginia Tech's defensive line. Yeah, <laughs> I noticed McKenzie's sitting at 344. That sounds oddly familiar to Timmy Settle. Yeah, he's there 6'3". 344 defensive tackle. I couldn't believe that when I saw that on the uh, the depth chart. The guy's huge. Yeah, but the the defensive ends, those guys are going to be a wrecking crew. Derek Barnett and Corey Vereen will be absolute trouble. Granted, we we bring back four or five on the offensive line, so you know that makes me feel a little bit better. But the linebackers, you can't say enough about them. I mean, you you already named you know Kirkland and Reeves Malin. They're they're amazing. And I think, you know, even more depth in the secondary, quite honestly. This this team is not going yeah. to be a joke. And, uh, you know, assuming that they don't look past us on their calendar, I think we're going to be in for a uh, a bruising day on, on both sides of the ball. Yeah, Cam Sutton is a shutdown cornerback in their back end. And I know Ford has always had a penchant for playing the best against the best competition, so I'm hoping Isaiah will come through on that again. But he has so much help, unlike the other teams we've played like that. they, Like I said, if they find some safeties, they're going to be good in the back end and good up front. I think the one advantage we will have is that it's an offense that no one's seen. Yep. And I think unlike Shoot being the defensive coordinator that we haven't seen, the offense dictates to the defense. So we are at an advantage in the fact that they don't know exactly what Fuente is going to do. And we need to make sure that we play to that advantage. I agree. And I think, you know, from what I'm hearing, you know, from message boards and kind of tracking this with people that are in the area, I think this is going to be a home game with for, for Tennessee. I think it may be somewhere around two-thirds Vols fans and a third Virginia Tech. So I know this is supposed to be neutral site. I don't think this is going to play like a neutral site game. I think this is going to be a lot of Tennessee fans, which is something to keep in mind. And for that point, winning this game, quite honestly, I think would be on par with going up to the horseshoe um, and taking down uh, Urban Meyer and the Buckeyes. I think I think it's that kind of uh, of a marquee statement win if this happened to happen in the second game of the year. I agree with you on the fact that there'll be more Tennessee fans there, but I'll I'll make a point on the other side of it that because the field will be so far from the stands, it might not be it might not be such an advantage just because the volume from the fans will be farther from the players. You know, if you know what I yeah. mean. So it might neutralize some of that fan advantage for Tennessee. 
but I do agree that it would be an on par victory because we're going to be unranked. They're going to be top 10, just like Ohio state was two years ago. And you're going into a hostile environment, let alone if it's quote unquote, a neutral site. The last point I want to make about Tennessee is that their special teams are right up there with the best in the country. And I couldn't believe this when I saw it last year, their kick returner, Evan Berry, who's probably their fastest guy on the team. He had the best average in the country for, for pump for kick returns. And he almost set an NCAA record. Their punt returner, Cam Sutton, who was the DB I mentioned before, is like shut down. He was also the best in the country at punt returns. And he had two TDs last year. So every time we kick them the ball, it's going to be a problem. And we better hope that Coach Shabest can uh, bring back some of that Beamer ball fire and we can cover these guys because I'm worried about a special teams touchdown in this game. And that could be the difference. You know, every those little plays, field position, everything's going to matter in this game for us. And uh, those two players for Tennessee, they they're they're a problem. Look no further than the Alabama game back in 2013. Right. Special teams. Jones. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> like you take out those special teams and that's that's a seven point game. So. It's important. There's a reason that Beamer prioritized it so much because if you're that good, it can it can really shift the dynamic. Agreed. Let's take a quick beer break before we jump into our other teams. So, Robbie, I guess I should ask what you're drinking over there. So this week uh, I went with the Ballast Point, which we all well know, San Diego, California, California. Uh, Great brewery, great beers. I went with the Pineapple Sculpin, which is hard to find on draft in a lot of places. And it took me a while to actually get a sip of this bad boy, even though I'd been anticipating it for a bit. And if uh, you're into IPAs but want something for a barbecue or out in the hot weather, a little bit kind of a more refreshing beer, this thing is perfect. It's got a little bit of a citrus flavor. Not nearly as the uh, the watermelon, the Diablo uh, that I talked about. I think it was our last podcast, but it's uh, it's a lot more citrusy and kind of it's not overpowering on the pineapple side, and it's still an IPA. So if you're into that kind of thing, I highly suggest this beer if you're uh, going to be out in the uh, the summer heat. It is uh, it is a great brew. That sounds refreshing. A lot more refreshing than what I'm drinking right now. I'm having. The Last Chance IPA by Weyerbacher, which is out of eastern Pennsylvania. And I like it. I do enjoy IPAs, and it's just a single, 5.9% alcohol. It's it's right it's right down the middle, maybe to leaning towards uh, something I wouldn't enjoy as much. It's a little bitter, um, but I would... I would have it again. It's a good. It's a. It's a solid beer. The Last Chance IPA by Weyerbacher. And again, I'm. I've got a couple of Pennsylvania beers here since I'm. Since I'm now recording from Philadelphia. Let's move on to our next game, which is on September 17th, at home against Boston College. I know it's it's Robbie's favorite opponent. He's actually an <laughs> alumni of Boston College, uh, grad school. I, I should add. Right. And they were three and nine last year. And they went, as was well-known, 0-8 in the ACC. They only returned 15 starters, but they do have their QB back. And they were first in total defense last year, despite the fact that they didn't win a single game in conference, which tells you how bad their offense was. 
their Athlon rank is number 65 preseason, which I think is about right, but might be a little too high. I guess we'll find out. Their offensive coordinator is someone you might remember. His name is Scott Leffler, and he has a familiarity with Adazio because of their time at Temple together. I think a lot hinges on their offense, and I find that hilarious because it's Scott Leffler, and I think it's some sweet justice. And I maybe because Adazio is involved, like his impact will be minimal. But I have little faith that whatever they do is going to be that impressive on offense. This is this is really bad. Uh, so the Eagles are in tough shape. I love Adazio, but they can't translate points onto the field or for the basketball court, for that matter, where they also went over an ACC play, as <laughs> we all may well know. And, you know, I, I like BC, so I don't want to rag on them too much. I hate playing BC, as I've always said. Uh, it's kind of a lose-lose for us. Uh, and I think that they are... Ha, either are or have hit rock bottom on on where things are going for them. We should have this game in the bag from a high-level standpoint, um, but quite honestly, there's more information right now available on Liberty than there is on BC uh, if you're out searching for uh, to scope out this game, surprisingly. And, you know, it makes it tough to look in, but the pain is deep in Chestnut Hill. Uh, last year, they never scored more than 17 points. Uh, not a far cry from um, from the six that they scored total in their their spring game, which was uh, the high of uh, I think it was their offense scored six and their defense scored two. It's it's pretty bad. How the defense managed to be that good last year and not win a single game is like a statistical anomaly on so many levels. That how bad their their offense actually was. Um, and going 0 for 8 and not even, you know, you know, accidentally falling into a win against any team was pretty pretty incredible. I mean, at the very least, I guess from a high level, I'm, I'm concerned that Loeffler has a pretty good understanding of our offensive talent, not our scheme. Uh, you know, he doesn't know necessarily what Fuente is going to put on the field, but that's probably the only scary thing that I have is him discussing on the defensive side of the ball what what kind of talent we have out there and having a good understanding of what that is. Yeah, and I did say that they brought their QB back, but that's because they brought back the QB that was playing last year, and their pass offense was 125th in the country, so he's not that scary. They brought in a grad transfer named Patrick Tolles from University of Kentucky, and he's probably going to end up being the starter. Uh, He doesn't have a lot to go on in terms of Something to get excited about. 56% completion percentage last year, 9 TDs, 14 interceptions, 112 rating. None of that is making you, you know, jump out of your chair that he's going to be the answer to Boston College offense. But they do get their running back, John Hilleman, back, who is a stud, much like a lot of other guys they've had in the past. He's Six foot, two twenty four, solid build. He has a thousand yards in his career. Missed most of last year with a broken foot, but he has fifteen touchdowns over his career and uh, about four yards per carry. The offensive line, which was dreadful last year and was one of the major contributors to why they were so bad, get three starters back, so that should be helpful. And the fact that Adazio has experience as an O-line coach. I think a little bit of experience, even if it is just three starters, will go a long way to helping them out. 
But if you're asking me, Leffler and whatever he might be able to do in this new team versus Bud Foster, I'd say Bud's familiarity with Scott Leffler will be more of an advantage than Leffler's familiarity with Bud Foster. I, I think you'd agree with me on that. A hundred percent. And their quarterback, and I had to, I, I read this twice because I want to make sure he had 24 TDs at Kentucky. I think he had, it, it, I, I, where I saw it was 24 interceptions, which is like mind boggling. That is incredible that you can be that inconsistent. Hillman, Hillman's going to be good. I, he's, you know, they've put up solid. The one thing that they have done is been able to, except for last year with the, the injury that he had to his foot, they've had decent talent and pretty good talent at times at the running back position. I can't even find a wide receiver that's mentioned anywhere. So I don't think the, uh, the past game is really going to be that beneficial for him. And the O-line should sure up a little bit given they're returning three of their starters. Uh, so there'll be some marginal improvement uh, on that side. On the defensive side of the ball, they lost Don Brown. It's no wonder he left given the train wreck that's occurred there. He went to Michigan. Um, their defense was outstanding, but you're also you're also replacing your defensive coordinator. So I, I you know it's tough. They get a ton of star power back. They have a really really good defense, um, strong talent there. But you're now you're you're working with a new defensive coordinator. Yeah, I, I do think that defense will still be ahead of the offense. I don't think either of us are debating that. They lost Steven Daniels uh, at linebacker, which thank God, because that guy was a beast, but they still have Milano. He had 17 and a half tackles for loss last year, which is just completely ridiculous and added on. And some of those were six and a half sacks and Connor Strack Stracken is going to take over for Daniels. And that guy's a beast too. So he was, uh, I'm pretty sure he was second on the team in tackles, and he wasn't even like starting inside for most of the year. Uh, their secondary, they have two really, really good corners in uh, Kareem Moore and Isaac Yadam, if I'm pronouncing that right. But they're both corners. Uh, and Johnson at safety is a beast. He had 45 solo tackles and three picks. So their defense as a whole is still really good. Uh, I still think that we'll be able to get the best of them for 20 to 25 points, and they're not going to put up that much against us. They just won't. I feel better about the BC game this year than I have in a in a while, and that's without knowing much about Fuente's offense or even having a, a starting quarterback at this point. So, I yeah, I think I think we sh- there's no no way that we should be dropping this game at all. No, they're capable of getting to a bowl. But so much of that depends on Scott Leffler, and if you're, that's not looking good, if you ask me. They definitely need to find a passing game, and if they do, they could be a little bit more dangerous. But what I'm seeing from Tolls in terms of his stats, like you said, he had he had 14 TDs his first year starting, then nine, but he had 14 interceptions the last year and nine the year before. So yeah, like you said, the inconsistency, the fact that he, you know. The same amount of touchdowns and interceptions. I don't think that's your answer. It's going to be a long year offensively again in Chestnut Hill, and I expect the Hokies to come out on top in that game, especially since this year it's at home. Agreed. Let's move on to ECU, an opponent that I dislike probably just as much as anyone else out there. I really hate playing ECU. They've beaten us two years in a row now, which I think is completely unacceptable. Uh, they were five and seven last year. That's right. We lost to a five and seven AAC team. Uh, 
uh, and they were three and five in conference. They only return 11 starters, six on offense, five on defense, but they are returning, uh, their one quarterback, James Summers, who tore us up last year, their Athlon rank preseason is number 94, which I thought was kind of low considering the track record that ECU's put up the last few years, but they did fire Ruffin McNeil after last season, which was kind of a source of controversy for people in the college football world because he's been very successful at ECU and has clearly caused Virginia Tech problems. But they hired Scotty Montgomery, the offensive coordinator from Duke, um, and I think that could be – That's I think that's a good hire for them. I really do, but I never thought – I didn't think Ruffin McNeil should be fired, but I also took the position that I really didn't care. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. McNeil, McNeil was good, and but Montgomery's a it's a great hire as a replacement. Uh, honestly, their defense should be okay. They have and their offense. It's hard to say which side of the ball I think is going to be better. They have a really tough out of conference schedule, including us. Uh, South Carolina and NC State. So getting back to a bowl for ECU is going to be an uphill battle, but I still think they're better than the 94th best uh, team in the country. Do you want to talk a little bit about what they're going to do offensively? Yeah. So under center, they they had a quarterback that they were ready to start, which was uh, Kurt Benkert, well assumed to take the starting job, and then injured his knee. Uh, and lost his spot last year, and then decided to transfer to some other school in in Virginia that we're not going to talk about. Uh, the default this year now seems to be Philip Nelson. He was a transfer, um, came out of Minnesota. He was with the Gophers, played 16 games there in 2012, 2013. And how old does that make this guy? I mean, the, the, I, I, again, another stat I actually had to check. He was at Minnesota from 2012 to 2013. So he's, he's getting, um, and then he was at Rutgers before that. So I think he's, I think he's 35 years old. He might be older than I am. Um, but I, I, a lot of people go to college for seven years. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Called the call doctors here. You know, things get a bit dicey. I think more at running back. I had our old QB friend from last year who who's, was mentioned, James Summer, who torched VT last year, and we don't really want to spend too much time on um, at, as kind of an option. Uh, but they have a smallish but shifty guy in Anthony Scott to help things out. But now looking at a lot of the uh, Athlon sports and that kind of thing, it actually doesn't look like it's going to be either of them. It looks like they have another uh, um, another transfer coming in and presume, a presumed starter with Daryl Scott. Uh, he's also a, a transfer. And I think, you know, it's going to depend on who it is. I think it's going to be probably Daryl or Anthony that's that's starting. I don't think Summer's going to have much of a role from what I can tell this year. And I have no clue what's going to end up happening this year with the, you know them on the ground through the air. I think they have some talent. Um, they're really deep at wide receiver. They have Zay Jones in the slot. He put up 1,100 yards last year. They have all seven of their leading receivers back. So the question is really just getting the ball in the right place, which is going to fall on the shoulders of Philip Nelson on the offensive side. And then they have three returning on the uh, the O line, which um, could be good, but they have to um, they have to replace with two youngsters on the left side of the line. The right side should be in good shape. So. I don't I don't know what to make of this offense other than that they're deep and wide receiver. 
it seems like they have some depth at running back. Their QB is a complete question mark, and we'll see what ends up happening here. Yeah, and that's the thing is they have a super talented wide receiving core in Jones, Brown, and Dave, Devon Grayson, and we saw them in full effect last year. They're they're dangerous out on the outside, but will Phil Nelson be able to get them the ball? And I, I actually don't think he can. Uh, he can run a little, uh, their quarterback, Nelson, um, and that could be a problem potentially. But with all that talent they have at wide receiver, like if they can't take advantage of that, that's a huge advantage for us. So we'll see what happens there. On the defense, they obviously have a new defensive coordinator that came in, they're, but they're still going to run a 3-4. And We've always seen their 3-4 in the past. They used to have that big fat man in the middle, but uh, he's gone, thank God. They have a really good duo of cornerbacks. That's probably the best part of their defense in uh, Deshaun Amos and Corey Sargent. And you'll probably remember those names from last year. And they're returning Richardson and Simmons on the back end as safeties. Otherwise, their defensive line and linebackers, it's going to be question marks. Who's emerging from spring? They got a guy named Bowden who was a spring standout. Uh, Jordan Williams, pretty solid for them inside linebacker last year when it was second on the team in tackles. But I think that the front seven susceptible. It's the back end that's going to be really strong for them. So with our offensive line and how many guys we're returning, I expect us to move the ball on the ground against this team. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, Jordan Williams at inside linebacker is actually you know pretty good. Uh, Presley at defensive end should be good. McGill at defensive tackle, another name to watch. Overall, the, I think the the defense appears decent is how I would characterize it. So, you know, my high level thought is it's not about skill level with this team. I don't necessarily, I think that Virginia tech has, um, you know, much more skill at, at both on both sides of the ball, quite honestly, but their tenure in the program, they have a lot of starters, you know, back that are are continuing with the program. They didn't lose a whole lot. They lost their linebacker, uh, Montice Overton, who is a, a stud, but, I think that the returning talent scares me a little bit, but I, I still lean towards you know what we're going to be putting on the field versus what they are. Yeah, this is definitely one of those situations where returning starters is a deceiving stat. And I got my returning starter numbers from Phil Steele. But Bill Connolly at uh, SB Nation does a Connolly experience rank where he basically ranks all the teams in terms of production that's returning. And ECU stands 46th in that ranking. So the 11 starters is a little misleading. They do have a a fair amount of experience coming back. And like you said, I think the defense will be okay. I think the offense will be okay. But if they got good quarterback play, they could be really good. And they could even compete for the AAC. I think Houston will probably end up walking away with it. But that so much of what they're going to do this year depends on what they get out of Philip Nelson at quarterback. Their defense will be okay. They have talent, a lot of talent at the skill positions on offense. It's a question of whether they can put it together. Yep, I agree. All right, let's move on to a really big coastal matchup against North Carolina on October 8th, and we're going to Chapel Hill on this one. North Carolina was 11-3 and last year, 8-0 in the ACC, and they obviously won the coastal. And they're looking like the favorite to win the Coastal again. Depending on where you look, I mean, people like Miami and Rick coming in. But I think still North Carolina is going to be that team to beat. They finished number 15 in the AP poll. 
and they're bringing back 14 returning starters and their experience ranking from Bill Collin, Col- Bill Connolly was 74th. So that 14 starters is it's probably is a good mark for what they're doing in terms of experience. Their Athlon rank coming into this year is number 21. And I do believe that this is going to be our stiffest competition to the Coastal Crown. Do you agree with that? I agree. I did. Miami should be looking at us the same way that we're looking at Miami. I respect Mark Richt. I think that you know, firing him was stupid, uh, but whatever. And this is going to be tough, and Miami could be tough. I don't. I, I know more about this team than I do about Miami and what Rick's going to install there, especially since he's taking over a lot of the assignment duties and you know actually working with a lot of the skill positions, um, which is something that he, I believe, he negotiated into his contract with that he was going to be able to to handle a lot of those duties in addition to being a, a head coach. This is going to be the toughest game. Mitch Trubisky is going to be the – it's not a question mark. I don't care, consider it a question mark, but how solid he performs after Marquise Williams um, is now gone is going to be really, really important. I mean, he's played – he's had a limited role. He had six TDs and zero interceptions last year, an 85% completion percentage. He's played in 21 games total, just had some action and some time there, which is why I think a lot of people are high on UNC – and I think he he could be a really solid quarterback. I don't see him as being a Marquise Williams, and you know maybe I'll eat my shoe, um, you know next year after uh, we look back. But uh, that is the least dangerous of of what happens because when we get to running back, that's where you know my fears start to to really um, you know evolve. <laughs> I hear you, man. This team is still absolutely stacked offensively. You've got Elijah Hood, who I know you love at running back. He's a beast. He's six foot, two twenty, fourteen hundred yards last year, and he's a legit NFL running back. He will be going to the NFL as soon as possible. Six point seven yards per carry, seventeen touchdowns. They don't use him that much out of the backfield, but quite frankly, they don't have to because they have weapons at <clears throat> at wide receiver in Ryan Switzer, Matt Collins, and Bug Howard. How is Switzer, Switzer back? No. I mean, he's I, I he's know. still around. God, get rid <laughs> of him. I can't believe it. He's got to be 40 by now. He is an absolutely dynamic playmaker. Everyone who has been watching college football knows how dynamic he can be. He had 700 yards and six touchdowns last year, and he's also a supreme punt returner, and he had two touchdowns doing that last year. On the outside, I mentioned ha- Hollins and Howard. The thing about them is they're huge. They're one of them 6'4", one 6'5". They're both 210, and – they love to spread the ball around. Hollins is a little bit more of a deep threat, but Howard had four touchdowns last year. It's just scary talent. I didn't even mention TJ Logan, their other running back. He's 5'10", 190, had 400 yards, and he he he's not a big pass catcher either, but he had six yards per carry and five touchdowns. So, I mean, this team offensively, including the offensive line, they're bringing back just about everyone. They have four starters back there too and their top backup. And last year, they rushed for a school record 5.96 yards per rush. So almost six yards every time they rushed the ball and only allowed one sack per game. It's just really impressive. And if Trubisky even is, you know, three quarters of what people think he's going to be, it's going to, again, be a very scary offense. Yeah. 
I absolutely agree. And the offensive line, you know, a lot of those guys are getting challenged by underclassmen that are coming up trying to take their spot. And those, that was a solid offensive line. So, and then on the defensive side, you have Gene Chizik, and that just in in and of itself frightens me a bit. Um, last year, in, in one year, he took a terrible, terrible defense, and he made it you know pretty decent. And they've lost their two best linebackers. It's not going to help. Um, they didn't have much of a pass rush last year. You know, with an offense like that, you don't really need it. Their secondary is pretty nasty and finished twelfth in the nation. Um, Last year, they have MJ Stewart, Donnie Miles, uh, Des Lawrence, Dominic Green back. Everybody's returning. Basically, our rush, you know, offense better be on point because that's going to be a key to victory. Because if we can't get the ball moving on the ground, we're we're certainly not going to be moving it much. You know, without uh, miracles from Fuente through the air. Um, if we spread it around a bit, that they may help. But um, the lack of receiving depth that we have right now is not is not going to be beneficial for this game and quite frankly as a summary on my thoughts 21 I think is drastically under ranking what this team is I think this is could be well a top 15 team and the only reason they're at 21 is because people don't know enough about Trubisky well I'm going to trash their defense a little bit more than you did because mm-hmm. while their DBs are actually very sick i mean stewart and lawrence last year they had crazy pass defended numbers but isaiah ford was still able to have over 100 yards against them their front seven is looking extremely questionable they lost uh shotmer who has was their only playmaker for a long time on this defense and uh i think his name was shaquille rashad he was the other linebacker they lost both of them and Otherwise, they have virtually no experience coming back in the middle of their defense. I think that, like you said, you got to run the ball against this team. They were 122nd against the rush last year, and I don't think that number is getting a whole lot better this year. Obviously, they defend the pass well. They were top 20, but you might not need to do that as much if Trayvon and Shai McKenzie and whoever else, Sam Rogers, whoever else we have running the ball can get going. They have uh, Donnie Mills. Their safety is also back. Another reason their def- their DBs are just so strong. He led the ACC in tackles with 120, 128. So, again, Fuente's offense potentially getting the ball to the wide receivers and stuff. I don't think that's going to be the way we win this game if we if we're going to beat North Carolina. I think we need to keep the ball on the ground and maybe our new QB, whether it's Motley or Gerard Evans. You know, maybe they're running a lot too in this game because I think that would help us a lot. Uh, I think that's where it's going to be won. And going to Chapel Hill, it's not going to be easy. I, I'm scared about this game, but I do think that we will score on this defense. Yeah. Well, the weird thing was last year, if you remember, we watched the game together. That game was 10 10 in the third quarter. And I would have thought it would have been much more of a shootout than that. And it ended up being a higher scoring game, but it went to overtime. Yeah. No, that's right. It's just, you know, Gene Chizik has a pretty good track record of being able to put together pretty solid uh, defenses. And, you know, that makes me worried. You're right. It is a little bit lean in the front seven on depth uh, and really, you know, experience for that matter. So, uh, you know, I don't know. You know, this 
this would be a very nice win. Let's just put it that way. This is a team. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a team that we will, by nobody's standards, be expected to beat. And we're going to have to put some real product down on the field to make that happen. All right. And the last game we're going to talk about today is the Syracuse game. It's our sixth game of the season. It's on uh, October 15th. And Syracuse was 4-8 and eight last year, 2-6 and six in the ACC. They're returning 15 starters, and they, but their experience ranking by Bill Connolly was third, third in the nation. So they're returning a ton of production. Their Athlon rank going into this year is number 75. So they're not expecting a whole lot, but the fact that they've got a new head coach in Dino Babers, it's a huge unknown as to what they're capable of because they, they've got some guys that can play offensively, that's for sure. I think Babers was a really good hire. He runs a hurry-up spread offense, and he's from that Baylor coaching tree, so that kind of makes sense. I obvi- Again, it hinges a lot on their quarterback, Eric Dungy. That's exactly right. The, the running joke, I also don't like that this is up in the Carrier Dome, which is our joke from, from last year. And when LSU, you know, they gave LSU all they could handle up there, and LSU's a pretty damn good team. Under center, it really, you know, it's Eric Dungy. Uh, he had 1,300 passing yards last year, 18 TDs, and another 340 yards on the ground. Um, but that was that was only in seven starts. So, and behind him, there's a serious lack of depth. So, Babers needs to find a way to keep him upright and off his back because last year um, there was a serious beating let down on the QBs for Syracuse. Uh, their their offensive line was was shit, quite frankly, and people were were getting to destroyed under center. So that that's going to be key uh, for the team as a whole. Looks like Strickland took over for Frednick or Fredericks uh, at running back after spring ball, and uh, behind him. You know, I, I think it's kind of a crowded backfield. Um, you put up 600 yards last year, 100 carries, four TDs. So not a ton of production on the TD side of it, but, you know, decent yardage. And then they have Irv Phillips, uh, who had 41 carries for 234 year, yards. So there's a lot of competition going on at the running back position right now and potential for split carries. Uh, and I think that that's probably what they're going to do. I think Irv is going to end up moving over to slot receiver. Um and then I think Dino is probably going to be going, you know, back to his tried and true on the ground at least, um, which is downhill between the tackles, rushing attacks, um, which would probably give Strickland or Fredericks the nod for the running back position. But it's a it's a competition back right for them right now. Yeah, I saw the the thing about um, Steve Ishmael is they're basically their top receiver. He had seven touchdowns last year. But the, the guy, uh, Brisley Esteem, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly, mm-hmm. that they're moving him to slot. You mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he can be dangerous. He had a big average last year in terms of yards per catch, only two touchdowns. But otherwise, wide receiver, they're in a very similar situation to us. They need guys to step up. Their offensive line, you mentioned, was, was pretty weak, and I think it's going to be weak again. You only have two guys returning there. Only two guys, I should say, returning with multiple starts. Um, that's definitely a good thing for us. I think it's going to take some time for them to adjust to the new system, and I'd say the same thing about their defense. They got a new, 
defensive coordinator. And something that Athlon put in their preview is that they're going to be running a Tampa 2 now, which is going to take a little bit of time adjusting for the personnel. They simply need to recruit different athletes to play that type of system. So they have some linebackers coming back. In fact, all three of their starters are back. But I think it's much more of a competition than the, the only guy that really stood out is uh, Zaire Franklin. And he was the team's top tackler, but he didn't even practice this spring because of an injury. Uh, no one at DE really returns. Uh, they have some solid defensive tackles. And in def- at the defensive back position, there's experience at corner, but really there's competition at all spots right now. So it could take a while for Syracuse's guys to like match with their system. That's essentially where they're at. And that's, it is bound to happen. I mean, that's what's happening with tech right now with our wide receiver situation. The fact that Fuente likes to rotate in a lot of guys and, and Syracuse is going to have a similar situation because they're going to be doing a hurry up spread. They're going to need guys, but also on their defense, they don't have the athletes to play. They want to play the way they want to play right now. So and they're moving – I mean, one of their tight ends is moving over to defensive end, right? So, that, I mean, if that doesn't indicate that they have a lack of depth, uh, you know, I don't think anything else would. So they're, they're going to be struggling on that side of the ball, certainly. Uh, I think they – it's going to take time to get it. Now you're switching your system on defense. Um, you have a new coaching staff in there. You have a new offensive strategy. The difference between them and Virginia Tech – uh, is that our defensive side of the ball is staying the same, right? So everything is changing on the offense. For them, they're changing on the defense and on the offense uh, in what they're trying to do. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a work in progress for Syracuse, but I am still scared going up to that carrier dome, let me tell you. Damn carrier right. dome. Let's Let's – I guess go like just talk about each game or talk about what we think is going to happen in each game based on what we talked about today because initially we put out our win-loss projections. You said 75. I said 8-4. and four. We're only looking at half the schedule here, but I think we're both chalking up Liberty to a win. Mm-hmm. And obviously ten- Tennessee's a toss-up. I like, I-, I like our chances against Tennessee. I'm not saying that I think – flat out that we're going to win. But I have been confident that we are going to compete in that game since the season ended. I I love the Fuente hire. I think the fact that our offense is a mystery is great for us. And while Butch Jones seems to be a good coach and there are these SEC East favorites, I just, I'm not going to buy it until I see it against a good opponent. That's, that's really how I feel. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I think we can compete in that game. I chalked it up as a as an L, as a loss. I think that we do have a chance to go in there and su- surprise some people. I think it's just too early. If it, if it was the – if we were playing the way that, you know, if we were doing SEC style, even though they mix in really shitty opponents towards the end of their season, if this was the, you know, eighth or ninth game in the season, I would give us more of a shot. I just think it's too early – his players are going to be too comfortable with his system versus what our players on offense are going to be comfortable with our system. So I got it chalked up as an L. Yeah, I guess we would need we would need a Michael Brewer like performance, and what I mean by that is his performance in the horseshoe, mm-hmm. 
and converting like eight out of ten third downs in order to win that game. But I still think it's possible. Yep. And for the sake of this projection, I'll project it as a loss. But I, I still like our chances in that game. So that puts us at one and one. Boston College, it's a win for me. I, they do simply do not have the offense, especially with Leffler at the helm, to beat us. Agree. East Carolina, I think without Ruffin McNeil, I think at home we get that one. The enthusiasm that Fuente will bring to our team won't allow us to lose to that team again. Yeah. So that will put us at three and one. That's how I feel. Yeah. I have the same thing. I think that I know we've lost twice to them in a row and it's not a great look. I don't, I don't see that happening this year after looking through, looking at all the players they have, what they're bringing back, and just the talent that they have. And you know, that being at home, I think, we're, I think we'll be in good shape there. The UNC game on the road, it's tough for me to predict because of how last year's game went. Some of that might be because it was Frank's last home game, and that's why we were able to control their offense for so long. But I still think Bud has a good handle on how to defend Larry Fedora's offense. So I think we'll stand a great chance to win that game. The fact that it's on their own troubles me, but I'm going to say it's a win. And I, What do you say? I think this is where our stats are going to deviate. I, I want to win this game. I think we can. I think we have the talent. I'm chalking it up as a, as a loss here. They're really, really talented. And I think... Yeah, you know, this I think this is a while a lot of people have them ranked in the twenties. I think this is a top fifteen team, and I think they're going to show it pretty early, and the way that they perform. But I hope I'm wrong. I, I hope we go out there and we get the W on the road. Uh, it being a road game does not help. I mean, in my mind, the real and not to preview too much, the coin flip games here that I'm I'm really thinking about are are Pitt, Miami. This UNC game, if we could somehow pull that out. Um, and I think those are going to indicate what happens. And maybe Georgia Tech, but who knows what the hell they're going to put on the field. So this is an important game. If we pulled out this W, if we pulled out this or Tennessee, that would be huge for the overall year. I just think that what Trubisky is going to do as a quarterback suits our defense and how we defend better than what Marquise Williams was doing. And we damn near beat them last year, even though that was at home. I like our chances. In the Carrier Dome against Syracuse, I think this has potential for a shootout. uh, And it will be extremely frustrating to watch, kind of like the Tulsa Bowl game. But I still think we'll end up getting it. But I I am more scared of the Syracuse game than ECU or BC. That that game up in the carry dome, it just scares me to death. I agree. It, but I like. I, I'll say we're going to win, but I'm scared. I have us as a W, but I am. I do not. After seeing what they did with LSU last year, which went under the radar, everybody just kind of ignored it. Right? It, it like happened, and then everybody just kind of moved on. We talked about it because you know we're ACC coverage, and yeah, we we we're focused on that. But I mean, they almost beat a really really solid team last year up in the Carrier Dome. And that atmosphere, I think, is condones to what they're trying to do this year, which is kind of, um, you know, and they're going to air out the ball. You know, it's two offenses that are, you know, not exactly like-minded. They're they're a little bit different. 
but both are in a very similar position. I think what gives Virginia Tech the edge is them changing up what they're doing on the defensive side of the ball. I think one of the funniest things about that Syracuse LSU matchup was there was like something on Reddit that the LSU fans were nervous that Syracuse was going to run out of beer. Yeah. Like that, that that this city itself was going to run out of alcohol. (laughs) Dude, LSU fans, they get after it. So it's, let uh, me tell you upstate New York people, they know how to drink. They don't run out of beer. Uh, In any case, that's going to do it for our opponent previews. I'm going to tell you what I'm drinking over here. And then I'll ask Robbie before we get to a quick trivia question and sign off. Cause this is getting a little long already, but I'm drinking the John by Neshemini Creek at a Croydon PA. And as you know, if you've seen Creed, uh, which kind of made the term John a little bit more famous, it's a Philly term for just about anything. You know, like if I could put it in a sentence, it would be something that, you know, you got to cop that John. <laughs> but in this case, on the can, it, it has it, John is actually an acronym, and it stands for Juicy Ale with Nugget. It's an American Pale Ale, five point two percent alcohol, and it's just a it's a solid, good solid pale. It almost kind of tastes like an IPA. Uh, it's a little bit of a thicker and bitter, but it's it's pretty great. Neshaminy Creek, John, Robbie, what are you drinking? Uh, Left Handing Brewing Company out of uh, Longmont, Colorado. Left Handy has a lot of good good beers. They had a um, they've had a lot of good, well recognized stouts. This is their extrovert IPA. I haven't actually seen it before. I was in the store and saw it and picked it up. It's halfway decent. I guess I would characterize it. It's uh, depending if you're <laughs> you're into it. It it just doesn't have. It's a little bit a um, little maltier. I'm kind of a hop head, so. It's it's good. I probably may order it again if it was on draft, but I probably wouldn't buy it again in bottles. But um, has a really flashy uh, logo associated with it, so I'm sure that'll get some touches from uh, from people looking for a new beer. But it's all right. I do find that when cans are interesting or bottles are interesting, I'll be more likely to buy them, and I'm sure that's how it is across anyone in America. I think that's one of the reasons why the what is it? Is it Twenty First Amendment that has the really colorful cans? Yeah, I feel like they. I just find them really attractive in the in the in DC Brown, which is local, does all their graffiti cans here. You have Flying Dog up in Maryland um, that yeah. does like all their kind of crazy stuff. It, it attracts the eye and gets people going after it. I will say this: Neshaminy Creek, they have significant artwork on their cans, and this one has the Liberty Bell on it as well as uh, uh, Independence Hall. So it's it's definitely a trend these days because you got to stand out. There's so many craft breweries. Everyone's trying to stand out in some way or another. Before we sign off, I have a quick trivia question for Robbie since he asked me some last week. And it's going to start out simple, and then it's going to break into three parts. And we'll see if you can get any parts of these. Okay, the first part of the question is, what is the point total of Frank Beamer's greatest comeback in which they ended up winning the game. So we've been down amounts and come back, but a game that we ended up winning, what was the largest deficit overcome in a win? Do I get a, a point range here? Do I have to get within like three? I, I, I'll give you, I'll give you a point. I'll give you multiple choice. Ready? Well, I don't, I don't need Four. multiple choice. I just need a point range. I, I, I think, well, this is easier. Yeah. This is easier. 14 points, 
17 points, 21 points, or 24 points. And then they had to end up winning the game, right? Tech won the game. I'm going to go with 21 points. You would have been right had we beat ECU two years ago when we were down 21 nothing. Mm-hmm. However, the answer is 17 points. Mm. Mm. Brutal. Now, I will refresh your memory and tell you that the game happened against NC State. Oh, wow. Wow. I, I actually In do. 2010. I remember that one. Now, I'll ask you a question. Oh, Jesus. Which, which play – sparked that 17-point comeback against NC State in 2010. Which play? Like a type of play? Like a passing play or running? How about this? Which player? In 2010? When would that have been? So... I'm going to go, if I have my time frame right, I'm going to go with Danny Cole. The answer is David Wilson. And you'll remember that he ran back the second half kickoff for a touchdown. And that sparked five second half touchdowns. And we ended up winning the game at NC State. And that crowd was going absolutely nuts. Now, there's one more final piece to this question. And see if you can salvage your humanity. You're killing me Which other game that year did Tech come back 17 points and end up losing the game? Oh, man, you're really coming... And the year was 2010, if you if I you don't remember. Um, coming back 17 points in 2010, and they ended up losing the game. Yes. I'm trying to remember where I would have been watching that. That's probably my easiest way. That would have been too late. <laughs> I know where you were watching it. <laughs> you know, I was. With, what was I with you? <laughs> <laughs> when did I watch a game with you back in 2010? That was like seven years ago, six years ago. Um, where would we have been watching? Oh, we were probably watching it. Uh, what's the place that shut down? Oh, man. Who would have been? Uh, let's go with. Whole loss in 2010, 2011. Logus, yeah, Logan. I'm gonna go with Miami. You remember that we took a bus to FedEx to watch Boise Boise State, Virginia Tech (laughs) with Tommy, and we were down 17 nothing to start that game. Came all the way back to take the lead, and ultimately Boise State drove down the field and beat us. In the most dramatic, depressing way possible. Amen. And the next week we lost to JMU. It's probably the worst week of my life. I was at that JMU game with one of my buddies that's at JMU, and it was horrific. Oh, dear Lord. Yeah. In any case, you you did not win trivia. No, <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's obvious to all, all people. You came, you came up shockingly short. But 
that NC State game is one of my favorite memories. I I was watching it at a bar in Charlington. I had a condo down there at the time, and it was awesome. I was with a bunch of tech buddies. It was a great comeback. David Wilson, Boykin, Danny Cole, they all scored TDs. It was sweet. In any case, good podcast today. We're going to be doing the second half of our schedule preview on our next episode. And after that, I'm not sure what we'll have for you before we start doing our season previews or August camp, but look for our second half of the schedule preview sometime in July, uh, maybe late June. But I think that's all I got for today. Robbie, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, we uh, give us a review on iTunes. We got a uh, we got a couple trickling in here and there, but uh, we can always use them. It helps helps out. Shows that uh, people actually like the like the podcast, and you'd be doing us a big favor. Yeah, absolutely. We always like to get a good positive review on our belt, even if it's a bad review. Just just throw us a review. You can always find our podcast. We're on Twitter. It's at 2DVT, Facebook, 2DVT, and on Gmail. If you have questions, email us. It's 2DVT at gmail.com. Follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, and until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.